both know I'm here. Like, <laughs> you uh, like I do have quite a few, unfortunately, but I'm trying to like no Never mind. <laughs> it's, a, it's also fun to discuss one's hideous addiction. <laughs> well, you know, they could be worse addictions. And that's, you know, Join two Colleen and I often, like, we've talked about how under the she sun. loves coffee. I don't like Dr. Because we don't know like, where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting with conversation, those in though. It is a good so day. And, and they're, comes, you know, relatively inexpensive, relatively harmless. Caffeine is an accepted stimulant right. compared to, you know, dexedrine or whatever else right, it might right. be. And so it's just... It's kind of fun to be in a world where every day we get this big smile from the first sip of each of our beverages. And, and I don't know, as you know, I, I sip all day. You know, I probably go through a two liter bottle a day, always much iced. And so I really like it cold and I like it kind of uh, diluted, I guess. But that's what they want you to do is, right, drink eight glasses of water a day. Right. And between all my ice cubes, I think I'm, I don't have to even <laughs> drink water by itself. It's kind of funny. Ice cubes, that's great. Yeah. Only occasionally do I get like the caffeine dry mouth or something like that. You know, it's it's kind of weird when you're I, I'm probably at this point. We've talked about this before. You know, I've been where I went on a hiking vacation and I'm like, you know, after by the first two hours, I got a headache. It's like this isn't that strenuous. Oh, it's because I didn't start off my day, you know, with, with the first caffeine. And so it's the caffeine withdrawal and it's a uh. little bit of dehydration. And so I've learned to when I take water along, sometimes I'll put like a little bit of Gatorade powder in mm. there to replace the electrolytes or whatever they say it does. Right. I don't think it really does do that. But it just is, you know, I you don't realize how addicted you are right. to something and, until you go cold turkey. And then you're like, oh, man. <laughs> and a lot of things I drink, especially pop, I like cold, like you. Yeah. Uh, like beer. I cannot drink a warm beer. If I don't finish it quickly and it warms up, it's just toss it. And I'm finding with the diet pops, I, I, like, I always like Coke, but I have to have it really cold. I okay. can't stand the warm cup. And I'm finding with the diet pops, especially like the diet A&W and the diet uh, Verner's, which yes. I discovered, if they are warm, they, the taste is just not that great. But if they're really cold, it brings out the Verner's flavor or the A&W flavor. And it, I really agree with that. So, you know, way, way long ago, we used to go to Great America. I lived in Chicago, as you know, for the first big part of my life. And uh, Great America, which is now Six Flags over America. But <laughs> back then, there was... They had all the usual rides, roller coasters, and so forth. One of the coolest attractions was, you know, always go during the summer, they had a place where you get a frosty mug full of root beer for a nickel. And wow. I think it might have gone to a quarter over the course of time, but still, you know, compared to a dollar right. seventy nine or whatever it also and it just was there anything more refreshing? Here's the, the frosty mug they kept, you know, they had the big freezer the froster where you keep all these mugs and and they they knew how to just tap it so it had the perfect head of foam on it and stuff and man even if you went on a water ride you didn't get as refreshed and cooled off as this perfect mug of root beer right. i love i've always liked things that were like that root beer and dr pepper where they have a little something going on birch beer or sarsaparilla or something where there's a little I don't know, a zing to it, a, a ginger taste or whatever else it might be. And Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all those things are good, but they all taste very generically the same to me. Whereas like root beer, a good root beer is really, man, this is great. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned the cost because remember when we were young at Burger King or whatever, you'd order your pop. It was a dollar fifty or whatever it was. Right. And if you wanted another one, you'd have to go and get another one. 
because it was behind the counter. And then somebody discovered, wait a second, if we put that out for them to refill as much as they want, we'll, we'll sell just as much. And then and take the time about, off of our people's hands. Yeah. yeah. And talk about feeding the addiction. You know, oh, people are so, you know, I can get this five gallon thing and I can drink as much as I want. You know, let's exactly. put chemicals in there so they want even more. <laughs> I remember there being, uh, I lived in Hoffman Estates, you know, northwest of the city, and there was a Chili's there, which, no lie, the reason that I liked going there was not only because the food was okay, I like, you know, my, my chimichanga plate or whatever, it's because they were one of the first restaurants, not even a fast food place, to have refills. And, and I just was like, this is like a total right. breakthrough in terms of my enjoyment. I've actually, we were in, let's see, Vail or Aspen, Colorado, and we went to a restaurant that also had a bar. And I didn't realize that that meant they charged you for every single drink. <laughs> and so I had my usual, oh, no lie, like four, five, six, because we've been hiking and we were, I was you know, dehydrated. And then I got, like, my food was 20 bucks and my drinks were 20 bucks. Right. So what the fuck? And I could not convince the owner like you know when i said i'd like a refill the guy didn't say you know there's no refills here Full right price. look at the bar it's a different thing because now it's such an expected thing right. such a standard thing but i guess i can you know the reason saying it was either Vail or aspen was because well that's where the rich folks go and they don't care about you know a two dollar sodi pop times six or whatever else it right. might be a three dollar thing well i was it was really like you know you kind of not bait and switched me, but you didn't give me full information, I would have switched to water. I would have drank less if it yeah. wasn't the usual thing here compared to everywhere else. So I'm still, that's kind of funny. I should remember the name of the restaurant so I can defame them. But it was something generically Italian, you know, like uh, Angelotti's or something like that. Sorry, there's a really an Angelotti's. Don't mean to defame you. But it was this, and, and <laughs> you know what? I'm, I don't mean to, like as if I still have a grudge. I just yeah. know that whenever we go back there, I'm, I'm, the memory that I have of there was we went to a cool jewelry store. You know, we, we were shopping around and, and acting as if we were posh. And in the jewelry store doorway, there was a huge Newfoundland, a wonderful big dog. Love and this. Colleen really is not that happy with dogs. And so I always interpolate myself in between her and the animal. Well, when I stepped closer to this dog, he like totally bumped up against me and was loving my attention, getting scratches and all that kind of stuff. And when then we shopped, when I went to leave, he like stood in front of me on the way out because he wanted some more love. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my fond memory. And that's usually, I think, how memory works is you don't remember unless it's traumatically painful you know my memories of aspirin were wow they have a beautiful fountain and they and they you know there's beautiful views everywhere you went and and that and little zing of what the, what, what the hell on drinks but then here's the new fee and he made up for it so it just was you know how it's funny how your memory works that yeah. it really is i guess it, it's not the nice median line it's, it's the peaks and valleys that you remember because they're right different they're extraordinary you know that kind of thing so well you know that segue here speaking of memories yes. and drinking pop and cold pops we have a holiday coming up this weekend one that exactly. signals the start of summer uh, and everybody usually has big plans and stuff though that's curtailed a lot last year there was like nothing so yeah. uh what are you guys doing different this year so it's fun. One of the things we're doing different is we're actually kind of coming out of our COVID cocoon. Um, <laughs> you know, Colleen has family members that everybody's been vaccinated and, 
you know, up until now, like when we go for our walks in the evenings, we've gone unmasked, but it's because you're in the open air and you're still able to avoid being in a confined space. Well, we're actually going over to one of the sisters and we're going to play games and have a cookout nice. and stuff like that. And, and so that's, if you will, not that much different in terms of it's very traditional to have the cookout and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. But to just return to it after having not had it for a year, it'll be a delight. You know Memorial what I mean? Day, just, the return. Yeah. The return, exactly. <laughs> but also, we, we even though driving is a little weird on Memorial Day sometimes because you'll see all the statistics that say this many traffic deaths. Yeah. And so we're trying not to do that. But we really like the combination of going someplace for a hike and a cool attraction. And so we're going to go to um, Jamestown, New York, which is where the National Comedy Center is. It's the birthplace of Lucille Ball. And so there already was a, a Lucy and Desi Museum there. 70 years this they, year. Isn't that cool? You know what I mean? That That's their... Uh, uh, the fact that she had such an incredible impact, both as yeah. a performer and a producer, like she, you know, Star Trek exists because of Lucille Ball. Yes. You know, I, I think I, I, I was going to say to, to bring the whole nerd connection and <laughs> stuff like that, you know what I mean? The geekery. But this place is very cool in terms of it's got all kinds of the history of comedy, you know, like starting with, I don't know, the, the first Roman pun and then burlesque and whatever else it might be. But it's got a really just an amazing variety of here's a clip and you can actually listen to Mort Saul or Lenny Bruce from way back when and you can listen to Saturday Night Live and you can listen to as you go forward through and uh, the whole main floor is just loaded with cool stuff like that and then downstairs that's what they call the blue room where it's like you know for this the upstairs is for the kids and downstairs is for things of a more adult nature and it isn't that you go downstairs and immediately hear you know MFMF but it just is there's been a lot of some part of what makes Huber transgressive is when you talk about adult topics. So yeah. it's sex and vulgarity and whatever else it might be. And, you know, that's when you like, there's, there's the capturing of the United States and maybe the world's history is so often with the humorists that talked about it at the time. And so when you see Red Fox, not as like Sanford and son, kind of a TV character, but how incredibly funny he was as a, uh, what they used to call party records. You know what I mean? They, they, that, that it, they were very blue, but they were very much about human foibles. You know what I mean? This is what the kind of stupid things guys will do to maybe get together with the ladies. And then there'll be women. You know, Larry Miller has a great thing where you could set up the most ridiculous and probable scenario. But if you end it with, and then, then you'll meet women and be like, I'm in. I'm going to go in that submarine and I'm going to take that mountain. And well, I'm going <laughs> to. I guess adding that to the end of the sentence is a little better than the uh, without pants. You know, right, so. exactly <laughs> that between the sheets, that kind of stuff. Right. Exactly. So, so we've been there before and we liked it. And it's one of those things where even if you've done it one time before, there's such a wealth of stuff there. And I think that they change the exhibits out often enough that it's going to be worth just kind of reimmersing ourselves. And of course, they have the coolest gift shop in the world. You know, so you can like get a rubber chicken. We have a rubber chicken ornament for our tree because we got it the National Comedy Center. And they have all kinds of t shirts. And uh, anyway, it's, I don't know. We uh, live comedy is our favorite night out. There's just there's so much uh, good for you about a good belly laugh, the relief of tension. That you know what I mean. It just does wonders for your health and for your immune system. But it's not about the practicalities of it. It's because I love to laugh. I love to have someone that can surprise me and be witty and comment on the events of the day in a way that nobody else does. You know, each comedy, each comedian has their comedic voice and the persona they put out, or just the fact that they get to these very funny things so quickly after an event or how they handle hecklers or whatever i just they're they're some of my favorite company you know i, I i've always been where i hung out a little bit after the show if you have an opportunity to meet your rock and roll idols but there's something very cool 
about meeting your comedy people oh, yeah. because it's like their superpowers that they can make you feel happy. They and, and not everybody is equally approachable. You know, some people are very funny, but not necessarily charismatic, if you know what I'm saying. But when you become <laughs> friends with a comedian, it's just like, man, he, he didn't mind my company. I made the team. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Even better <laughs> is if you're just sitting around talking and you make the comedian laugh. You know, that, that feeling of... <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, this, you know, we had this happen one time that there was, you know, they usually have like three comedians, at least there's the, the, the um, showrunner, if you will. And then there's a the feature act and there's the main act. And um, we had been, we were having such fun because we knew the feature act. He was a more frequent Cleveland guy that we were like laughing our butts off, just talking and, and like that, you know, we, we could each make each other laugh that the main guy came over to talk to us because we were having such a good time. He's like, I want in on the fun. And it's, it's just like, I don't know. I, I love what you just said that um, I'm not only, you know, in, in comedy clubs, but on Facebook friends with various different people. And I, I often am very flattering, you know, and, and more like, complimentary to them because I really admire a sense of humor. There's such intelligence and creativity and stuff that goes into it. And the fact that now we have exchanges instead of my just, you know, being the fawning fan, but we actually like, I don't know, I don't give material. I don't write jokes for them, but what I say, they will often laugh at or comment on. It's like, well, if I can make a funny guy laugh, that's a cool thing. You know what I mean? That I, I, my vision, people have told me that I'd be okay as a stand-up comedian because I'm relatively quick in that way. But I always had that weird vision of like, standing up in front of a room full of people and and it not being like for free with your Mensa friends, but like people who paid to be in there and they're like arms crossed going, make me right, laugh, right. you bastard. And I just, I don't know, that doesn't seem as as much fun as... Right. as it's uh, work then. It's work. And another thing is, I hope you don't mind me going on about this, I really am better about um, improv and every time I give one of my talks, for instance, I run off of an outline, but every single talk is different. I a little bit talk here and about there. things in a different way, different vocabulary. I digress in different ways, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, not, I don't think I would have been a very good actor because memorizing somebody else's words and just repeating them and maybe repeating them with different emotions welling in me and, you know, direction from the director saying, well, here, now you should be, you know, uh, be more right. aggressive or whatever. And I feel so puppety doing that kind of stuff instead of, it's me. This is me saying these things. And right. whatever whatever part of me that people like or don't like, it's at least me <laughs> instead of I, I faked it. I really right, don't like right. doing the fake thing, you know? So that's the biggest reason when people talk about on the comedy circuit, as they work their way up, they have that perfect 10 minutes and they have a tight 20 and they, they work their material and they're very writerly sometimes. But you go to 50 different cities and you know what? You're saying that at least 50 times yeah. and maybe and, multiple shows per city. So you're saying it 200 times. And I just, that's kind of hellish to me. I don't yeah. want to recite. I want to goof. You know what I mean? So how many times do you hear about, you know, Oh, I love this thing. It's my passion. I want to do it for my whole life. And then it becomes a job. And yeah. You, you lose yeah. Some of that. And exactly. you know, you mentioned about, the improv and these comedians, you know, talking stuff. I wonder if that ability some comedians have to, you know, hear a headline and just riff on it with some comedy or, you know, this just happened a couple hours yes. ago. Let me give you my comedy routine on it now. Yes. I wonder if that's the same part of their brain that rappers who can be on the street corner and do the rap battles just off the top of their heads, you know, be able to get the words. 
honestly, I think it must be related. There's a, a muscle that you flex when yeah. you're like, how to look at things, how to think of, <laughs> sometimes you have, like, I don't know, when I've done improv, there's been occasional times where I have a good line that I like to use, but it applies in multiple situations. And I don't feel like I'm parroting myself. It's more like when you have a thousand good lines to choose from, and this is the one where it'll be really zingy, perfect, applicable to this situation. That's what I think about people that, you know, when you're reading the headlines, you're almost like, I'm always going to have police corruption material ready. I'm always going to have, you know, government ineptitude material ready. Uh, and again, the foibles of men and women and how they chase each other. So you can have that. And, and maybe sometimes it's lame where you're like, oh, I just heard him say that like three times. And like, doesn't he have anything else? You know, in fact, that, that's kind of, we have a couple of comedians that we've kind of stopped seeing because we've been seeing him for, in my case, 40 years. And if it's the same, same act, thing, yeah. then when it was like, wow, you really are not only reciting, you're kind of on autopilot. And that's a weird thing to see is to just, I don't know. I, I really like people that are prolific in that way. Like, boy, Jake Johansson, every time we see him, he's got a whole new act. He's really wonderfully observant and witty. And same with, I mean, we can start Dave Attell and, and a bunch of people that we've lost. Richard Jenny used to be so prolific and so good. And even though he had, it was him, it was his voice saying those things. He always had cool new things to say. And John Panette, you know, we've lost a couple, like I said, that, but just every time that, that Jake Johansson comes to town, it's like, I want to see him again. He's going to make me laugh my butt off in the same way. And, and it's, it's going to be that kind of material that like you hope you'll remember it so you can share it with your friends. Right. It's not jokey jokes. It's more like, man, he thought of something that everybody else has talked about this situation. He had this perfect, incisive, you know, maybe mocking, maybe appreciative, whatever. It was just, I love people's minds that work that way that nobody else's does. And it's cool to get a glimpse into that. Stephen Wright, you know, with his perfect, one-liners and two-liners and and uh emo phillips you know yeah. what i mean anybody who can be just the economy of writing a perfect what's called a paraprosdokian there's a good a yeah. word for you that'd be the it's, word it's, of the week in the word of the week it's a garden path statement it's where you're able to set up in one sentence the expectation where somebody thinks they know what they're going to hear next and then you take that left turn you take them down the garden path and then you push them into the bushes you know what i mean and right. he's so perfect about that you know that the um let's see uh you know they used to call me mr baseball you know because of the stitches right right <laughs> You know what I mean? And like, oh man! And he has a thousand of those. Oh well, oh well. I, right. we, like I said, I have my top ten. That that's probably the biggest thing that I like. And maybe that's in the National Comedy Center. It's a little bit weird to see those things canned. But when you some of the performances are like the first time that this guy was got on Johnny Carson or this gal was on Saturday Night Live, and they bring their A game material and the roar of the crowd when they hear something they've never heard before, like Elaine Boozler at the top of her game was just unbelievably funny you know what i mean yeah. and when they get the the comedy uh, like the, the audience is already laughing and they go into the next joke and people are like gasping no, no, give, give me a chance you know i gotta right, right. got collect myself and i love when somebody's good at that that they they get on a roll and they're i don't know there's there's so many somebody who is very dry in their um delivery and that people uh are like hanging on their every word you know i i love that we're like you're you're totally um 
focused on what they're saying and you're trying to get ahead of them. You know what right. I mean? There's there's any number of times that Colleen and I like lean over to each other and think we know what the punchline is going to be and not loud enough to spoil the show for anybody else. But it's kind of cool that well, we have a little comedic sensibility if we can do that. If they set it up and we actually got there with them instead of only being surprised, only being battered <laughs> by right. humor. It, so, oh well. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, re-listening to the same comedy albums. You know exactly what they're going to say and it's still funny because it has that familiarity to it now it's the expectation of humor and familiarity yeah and people talk about this often you know there's some things that they're not if you read them they're not as funny as the person doing it they have such timing and such a way of engaging you and maybe just like you know they they give you that little look where they (laughs) they challenge you to get there in front of them or like they give you a blank look so that you are innocently unaware of the funny thing that's going to happen and as it um I hope you don't mind my talking about this much because sometimes like the the death of comedy is analyzing it. You know what I mean? To really talk about why something is is funny. Is that what happened in your comedy class? (laughs) And maybe, you know, that's, we went to a colloquium on humor that Mensa put on. This is probably 15 or 20 years ago. It's a long time now, but that's what kept happening was we had, there were scholarly people, there were funny people, but when they, they talked about, well, here's the 10 different kinds of humor, and, and here's examples of that. And and the more that it wasn't just hearing the material, but them talking about, here's why it works, how well it was written, here's the choice of vocabulary that led to it. Every little dissection of that was like, oh boy, you're like killing the guy. You're 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 operating right. on him, but you're not reviving him. You're you're hurting it. You're hurting right. this beautiful thing. And and so that's been my reflection for a long time is that part of what I like about comedy is the surprise of it. And there is indeed a familiarity that comes with, like I, I love, there's certain comedy movies that the scene's coming up and I actually kind of start laughing because I know I love this scene. It's so well performed and the writing is so perfect. But there's others, like I said, when you've heard somebody's material and you can even say, not only have I heard the words before, but the exact cadence with which they say it, it it's, it's so much the same. that's like, oh, this is robotic, you know, uh, and, and I, we saw George Carlin once where he, he was amazing. He was so smart and so writerly and his material was really good. But I think also as he got older, there'd be where he would try out his new material in like the first half, two thirds of the show and, and lots of surprises. The first time we heard Millennial Man was so fantastic. You know, it, if you've ever heard this, you should yeah. go find it on YouTube, everybody. It's like, I'm an alpha male with beta blockers. He just had all these wonderful juxtapositions of stuff. And that's a lot of comedy too. It's, you know, uh, um, things that don't go together, but you right. make them and then you see there's a little cool friction, whatever it might be. Having said that, about two thirds of the way, he just like started to recite he had the rest of his act that he was going to go and instead of even like pausing and waiting for audience laughter suddenly it was like he's not with us anymore he's he's just going to get to the end of his act and say thank you and good night and it i don't know it just felt i felt bad for him because there must be a certain amount of physical stamina that you have to have to get out there and talk for two hours you know what i mean and as he got to be 60s and 70s and i'm not sure when he passed but he was older there must be something of like one time we had him where he actually said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of down. I'm trying out new material because i got a special coming up, but I'm, I'm flu. I have fluish symptoms, and so I may not be able to make it through. And that is indeed what happened. About halfway through, he said, I'm, I'm killing my voice. I'm just not feeling great. I'll make it up to you. I'll come back. And indeed, he did. Like a year later, another show was scheduled. This was at the Canton Palace Theater, if I remember correctly. And then he like returned in triumph. We were so happy to welcome him back. And he, you know, his, his special had once again been really good. But... There's, there's got to be something that just as people 
you know, when you're a 25 year old baseball player and you're the master of your game, it's not easy when you're 45 and your knees hurt. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? So comedians must get that too. I get absolutely any performer. You can tell when actors are, they, I don't know, boy, actors are a whole different thing, right? Where they, they play different kinds of roles based on their age. And sometimes they play against that type, you know, where they're a little younger ish, even though they're older, like Anthony Hopkins has done things where he, sometimes embraces fully that he's a, a wise right. elder. And sometimes he's just like surprisingly spry and goofy. Same with uh, Patrick Stewart. And so, you know what I mean? It's, right. it's kind of cool that people can put on different masks and even like masks that's 30 years different than the reality of their life. Anyway, Especially anyway. now with the technology changing ages, like Absolutely. Gemini Man with Will Smith at 50 and 20. Yes, exactly. And boy, they just had a thing about this where, um, there's aging apps now that, that people, um, they see what they're going to look like. Uh, bear with me because we just saw a cool special about this. There's um, some way of understanding investing, of thinking for the future, of um, just making plans, if you will, is that you often are very aware of who you are and they're your friend. You're happy with that person and you might be able to be people you interact with, you know them, and then if you, you can more easily picture other people as they age and say, well, I want my mom to be okay. I want my dad. I want my friends. And so you can picture kind of helping them out over the course of time. But some people, and I really, I think I'm one of them. I never have any image in my mind of anybody but me right now. I don't think of myself as being, what will I look like when I'm 80? And especially when I was like 20, I didn't have a picture of what would I look like when I'm going to be 40 or 60 or 80. And so it's hard then to have sympathy for and value the person that you're going to be when you're 65, when you're 25. You're not like, well, when I get to where I can't easily, you know, climb a mountain, I should get on my mountain climbing in now. I should plan ahead so that if I can't get around as much, what do I do to make sure that my older years are in comfort? And I've had to very much approach that in like an intellectual way, but not in an empathetic human way. And Bruce was saying that is Colleen is great at that. She's got this great ability to like picture what people were like when they were young. There must have been an annoying. Well, kind of goes with lady. their job, doesn't it? I, I mean, maybe that's it. You know, ladies are better. I, I, I hate to make sweeping statements, but I wonder because I, I often, more often hear that from ladies that they can extrapolate both, both elder and younger from an existing face. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I don't spend that much time on my face. People who spend time with makeup yeah. and contouring and shading, then they have an idea of what does it take to simulate older or younger, especially younger. If you're trying to um, be active in the business world, but you don't want to look like you're getting ready to retire. An you know ancient I mean? hag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't go and be the sea hag. Exactly. So it's... um. I thought that was just, a, for me, a very interesting observation that whatever regard I've had for the future, in some ways, I thought of myself, I use the phrase rugby tough. You know what I mean? When I was young, I just couldn't get hurt. I, I, we could, I could go play rugby, beat myself up, beat others up. And the next morning after a good night's sleep, I was like all ready to go again. Whereas nowadays we laugh about it. You know, you're like you wake up with... What's this hitch? How did I, did I strain something while I was sleeping? What the hell's wrong with my shoulder? Right. This isn't right. <laughs> and right. so I never pictured myself as having any of that. And so I really didn't, I, it's not like I didn't take care of myself. You know, I haven't been a daredevil and abused myself, but it sure has been a surprise instead of being, well, that's right. just you at age 60. You know what I mean? Damn it. it I think what it really <laughs> is, 
it's your alternate self in another universe was doing something. So it strained both your shoulders because you're connected. And that must be it. See, exactly. Yeah. Whatever that alternative deja vu multiverse. Right. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. With. <laughs> it bleeds over. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> do you guys do any of the parades or anything like that? Um, we haven't for a while. Uh, as crowds have gotten more ornery, like yeah. we, I used to love going to small town parades. We would seek yeah. out like the Potato Fest in um, Minot, I think it is. You know, there's like we. I really love um, Watermelon Fest and Strawberry Fest and Mum Fest, and that's what we would try to do for the holidays: is go there and be part of like a small town festival has extra joy to it or something like that. You know, and unfortunately, as we got to where it started to be that it wasn't just the parade; there were too many dogs, which Colleen doesn't like, or someone would throw firecrackers into the crowds. Yeah. Like, why? What? What in the? Why would you spoil that? And it's not like that happens all the time. But if you had it happen to you, it's forever one of those little memories that we just kind right. of talked about. That like that's it. yeah. That so our our image of going to a place that's going to have a crowd it isn't good nowadays. Yeah. But the only way we overcome it is maybe for a concert and and that there's still a certain amount of uh, shared politeness. But not really if everybody's holding up their cell phone to capture the concert and then you're getting their hand and their glow and whatever else it might be. So that things that times have changed and the, the ways in which I most get to be like the crotch of the older guy is not that they've, <laughs> that they've just changed. You know, it's not like, well, you know, an old man yells at cloud. It's not that there's there's still clouds. I still like clouds. It's where, to me, things have changed for worse. And so when you have that, it used to be that everybody went to a concert to really see the concert. And nowadays, everybody seems to be there to talk on their phone while they're at it or to get up 10 times Thanks. to get a beer. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, can you have some respect for the artists? Can you have some respect for your fellow attendees? And and just like lose yourself in the music like I like to do. Enjoy it's it. really hard to lose yourself in the music when you get a thousand interruptions over the course of two it, hours. It, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. We went to an Indians game and they're like, that. yeah, cool. you know, people aren't here to watch the game. They're here to check in on Facebook. They're here to FaceTime people and get pictures and then they leave, you know, it's the experience. Yeah. And, that's that. and I think that actually, see, when I was growing up, uh, the Memorial Day Parade was a requirement because I was in marching band in high school and then Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. So sure. you you had to be there type thing. And I think that was good because it, it it's honoring those we have lost in wars to give us these freedoms to go to a comedy club or, you know, all that. Absolutely. So yep. that was instilled upon me very big. Uh, mm -hmm. And I made my kids go even when they weren't in scouts and things, you know, look, you're honoring these people take, you can take two hours out of your life in the whole year to honor these people who gave their lives at the age of 20. So you That's could be right. 25 and enjoy things. You know, I tried to instill well, that, that and that, that was really deep with me. And it, it, it angers me when people go to these things uh, like we got scouts and we're like, all right, scouts come here. And I get parents going, well, we're not coming. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm not going to sit in that crowd or I'm not, you're, 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 what are you teaching your kids? You know, I mean, yeah. that it's not that important. You know, that, that bothers me or worse, they grab their kid as they walk by and then leave. Well, no, you should come into the ceremony that honors. No, we're, we don't have time for that. What your potato salad's going to go bad before we, you know, I mean, it's like, that right, always right. bothered me when they would do that. Um, now, to be honest, we haven't gone for the past couple years, uh, and it's it's no real big reason. We don't have a reason to be there. We do go maybe every other year or so. Uh, Edinburgh is rough where I live because they don't do it till 11. 
So by the time you're out of there, it's one in the afternoon. And, right, that, and it's already the heat of the day and lots of parking problems. And yeah, that. and that takes, a, you know, if you wanted to get together with people or go to the lake or something, your, your day is almost gone by the time you get there. So yeah. I, 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 I begin to understand that a little bit. Um, I, we still we still try and go at times. I know Deerfield, they do theirs earlier, like 8 a.m. So I've, I've gone down there because, I mean, at least I'm taking the time and I'm honoring it and it I can fit it into my schedule, which sounds like, well, you, can, you know, but okay. You know, I, yeah, I understand exactly. what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I, maybe it's also, if you've done it like 30 times, the 31st just doesn't have the must do the appeal, the whatever else. Right. So just that I grew up, same thing. We went to the PD parade in Elk Grove village. We went, when I was in Champaign Urbana, I went every single year. It was like the, the thing you did before going into finals in, in, in college. And, it, I don't like I said, small town stuff really is more cool. But then when I came up to Chicagoland again and lived first in uh, Elk Grove, then Hoffman Estates, that they, I don't know, it was just, it wasn't the same and it wasn't as necessary, I guess. Yeah. I started using it as an excuse for like a nice three-day weekend. And where do I want to go? Kind of get away from crowds. I would go right. to um, Starved Rock and hike around there. or And I'd go to where I thought it was the more obscure state park. So it wouldn't be everybody that comes there to have a big, like luau you know what i mean they may build a big bonfire and all that kind of stuff it's still i i, I guess some part of having time off a vacation to me has all has never been go to where there are more people it's go to where there are less so right. most of the time yeah. when we do our hiking vacations we also do it in what they call the collar seasons you know like april may and september october the kids are back in school or still in school and there's just family vacations are a whole different uh noise level and traffic level and stuff and we kind of like the place to ourselves you know what i mean it's right, like get yeah. more nature you know you bears will come that. out horses will come out if you're the first people down that path that day whereas they've already had you know 500 people kind of trundling along and the kids jumping on everything there, there's no beaver that's going to come out of his lodge into the pond for them you know right, what i mean right. so. <laughs> yeah so i don't honestly we don't have a whole lot of plans we've got our podcast friday night we're doing a live podcast right. for texas exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah the lone star rg you know they, they in fact i think it's going to be a good topic too because oh, we're, gosh, we're, I can't yeah, wait. we're talking about like working from home and maybe that's one of those things that if we should have done this last year in prepping everybody for what it's going to be like <laughs> to live through a covid year but it is i don't know i'm looking forward to sharing here's here's what you and i have discovered if you're going to work from home how do you make that tolerable how do you make that efficient how do you make that joyful you know what i mean and so we have different technologies and stuff like that but i think some of the same well just that we'll share all of what we we each have learned and we'll see if anybody else uh, uh, cottons on to any of those ideas right. i think that some part of it isn't just the tech it isn't only the geeky it's also you learn about how you work, how your body works, how the, how in light or in dark and those kinds of things. And you it's, know, so. it's different, too, because <laughs> the other ones we've done have been other Ohio RGs. So the, right. the culture is similar. The weather is similar. So, you know, anything we talk about, they kind of get Texas is different. You know, they have a different culture. Right. <laughs> they have a different weather system. So working at home is different there than it would be up here so i think it'll be interesting and if we get any questions or feedback exactly. well now now you're saying that i have to like how do i uh uh change my office environment i have like a gun rack on my back wall i have to have like oh here's <laughs> my pet armadillo let me just pet my armadillo for a minute right. you know i have to like and actually did you there was just i think a jeopardy episode or something where it was um 
the 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 German word for armadillo is something like um tank pig, Panzerschwein <laughs> or Panzerschwein. I think that's what it was. It was like, well, that's how Germans do it. They don't make up a new word. They take existing words and combine them. It's like, yes, that's what Tarkus, the album by ELP, is all about. It's a little arm, you know, armored armadillo making a right. machine, a Panzerschwein. That's very cool. So, right. <laughs> so speaking right. music wise, you mentioned a new group uh, you're going to go see. Is that this weekend? Or so yeah, it's actually it's no it's the, the end of August okay and they're not they're not a new group so it's the residents a new and group I, to I, me I, yes exactly sorry I, I gotta tell you uh, they are uh, an acquired taste <laughs> I yes, I, I really yeah. think that a lot of people who like the residents are the same kind of people that like they'll come to pretentious drinking where there's a hundred nice things to taste and they'll say give me the bitterest thing you got <laughs> right. the residents are an odd band they play like industrial trance a little bit um electronic a little bit harsh sometimes but still melodic it's not just noise right. but they they deal with like uh they just do things differently than everybody else does they have an album where it's like 45 different one minute snippets as if they're commercial jingles their versions of commercial jingles they have things where here's stories from the bible you know and like album by album they'll change amazingly between what they're doing um when they perform they've they're they're they've never been seen they wear masks most right. of the time the image you might have seen of the residents if ever you would want to know who the heck they are they have big eyeballs their big eyeball heads exactly with top hats on them because that would not be odder and at one point and it's, I know a little bit about them because I've followed them for a long time. They have their own comp company way before everybody else was incorporating and David Bowie became DavidBowie.com and that kind of stuff. They created a thing called the Cryptic Corporation where they controlled all of their own musical rights and the ability to perform and all that kind of stuff. And they guard their secrets zealously as to exactly who's in the band and, and like you never know when music is going to come out. They don't do the, hey, album's dropping in three weeks, get ready. They just have always been surprising and absolutely steering their course in the the world just based on whatever logic or whim or whatever they do but having said that they have like 50 albums out i think wow. everything is still available via their website their biggest band that nobody's ever heard of you know air, radio play nay nay i don't think they've <laughs> ever been on the radio and they don't try to be they let people discover them so um, I, I actually this is kind of funny i have a good friend tom cortese who i've talked about before that's like made of music he's an amazing musician and also happens to be a rocket scientist you know what i mean like one of those guys that like you know i, I can say me, this isn't rocket science, this I isn't know. Rocket science <laughs> because tom would tell you it isn't either exactly when when so he and i when we met in college we we met working at, at bubby and zadie's a deli at, you know, at right in campus town. And you know how sometimes you get to know people by like the references that they drop. And it wasn't just, you know, how about those fighting Illini and the game this weekend? It was, my God, he knows about like, uh, we both like the Todd Rundgren, uh, actually Utopia, Adventures in Utopia album. And so when you have to work together and you're going to choose what music to play over the public PA, it wasn't having to fight over, he wants pop, I want Prague. We had enough of the same odd, but, um, tasty musical tastes that we bonded over that and then we found out this is the weird we found out that we both were on play-doh a lot and one of the things that you could do on play-doh which was the educational computer system at u of i was that for your classes and so forth 
you always on as like I was Alan Baltus at MBA or whatever else it might be at, at, at the various different classes at Math W. Um, you also could have, for the first time in my life, a persona. You know, there may be BBSs, I guess I also didn't go on. But I we found out that we both frequented some of those same interesting groups, um, games that we played or uh, a comic book discussion or a music discussion they both. And I, when I revealed, I don't know that I meant to do it because you kind of keep that to yourself, that I was boy with brain in a jar. And he was like, Oh my God, that's you. I, I like your stuff. You definitely are, uh, you know, I, I like now, now it all comes together. I can see how you are that guy. And so I said, well, what's your handle? And he goes, "Never mind, idiot. And I was like, wait, what? Because he goes by NMI, Never mind, idiot. And it was like, Oh my God. It was the first time that you had that, what people call decloaking. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I have yeah, any yeah. number of people from BBS and other things that I've come to know for years decades without my really knowing who they are and this was that first my first experience of that in college was uh, that that reveal that bonding over man i already know you i already like i like your writings you're 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 already an interesting and now i now i like oh my god face to face meet space you know what i mean (laughs) so we he used to work in the music lab um, up on fifth floor of the Plato building, you know, Cyril, the computer education research lab, and like to be allowed up there. It's like an artist's garret. Well, he had, he was doing music um, experimentation education, and I was allowed to go up there. And and it was just like the coolest thing, you know, whatever I could share with him about um, what I was doing to write the maze generator for this game. And, and, you know, this is kind of an odd thing. One of the first guys that I knew that could like keep up with me in certain things, like playing Boggle or playing math games where you have a series of numbers and uh, operators and you make it, oh, that's going to total up to 17. And I'm, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I am more confessional on our podcast than I ever have been <laughs> in my life about like the braggy type stuff. But it used to be that I was just, crushingly better than everybody else and then as you discover people gene anderson is another tom cortese probably you where they have that weird facility of um playing scrabble because they can do anagrams well or boggle and and doing math things where it's not first generation math and only algebraic stuff it's like he liked fractals tom was into fractals when nobody else really honestly it was a an Mm. odd unknown new thing back then and not only did he like fractals but then like a year after we had met, he was going to have an art show in the Union where he was one of the first guys that took the fractal patterns, the Mandelbrot set and uh, uh, dragons, uh, and and colorized them so that they were beautiful, not just mathematically looking like a spirograph pattern, but a way to make it into art. And so that cool intersection of his brilliance and his artistic sensibilities, it was just, I I like to try to do that. And I don't know that I can... A draw. I'm really not more than a stick figure type guy, but I could generate beautiful things right. that had the symmetry and the interest and the um, like unpredictability, even though it's mathematical, that I find fascinating. And he was into that too. So having said all of that, it's because we both knew about the residents that it was one of the biggest mind blows of like, I don't know anybody else that knows these people even exist. And you and your brother actually like them know them and like them so that's the big way of saying when i saw the residents were touring and they only tour like every 10 years they often disappear for a while and and uh they're going to be in both detroit and chicago but not in cleveland so i was like 
all right, I got to do a road trip. I'm going to have to go this. Let's see, Detroit's three hours, Chicago six, but Tom's in Champaign-Urbana, so him making it to Chicago is easier. And so I asked him if they wanted to do it and, and you know, got tickets for Lincoln Hall. It's like a, a general admission, smaller place in Chicago, so you know that the only people that are going to be there are not Big the get-a-beer idiots. It's right. going to be big fans and it's going to be this like i don't even want to call it a love fest because i don't know that anybody really loves the residents they just respect them or something right. like that you know well, and it's a so, chance to hang with tom you know so right. so i hadn't heard of them so you introduced them okay. to me which i love because right. anything quirky out of the ordinary that pushes the norms i'm i can totally yeah. get into i mm -hmm. went to their website checked out some of their videos and stuff and i'm like yeah, these guys are a little out there, a little different. Right. Um, so obviously right away it's, well, it's performance art music because they're the way they dress, the way they act is as much a part of the whole experience as the music itself. Absolutely. Um, One of the very first bands that had like things playing on a screen behind them while they played their own created animations or their found films or whatever else it might be. And it, what you just said, it's a, a, a 3d extravaganza it's yeah. a multimedia thing instead of just being they get out there and jam that's exactly right, right. Yeah. And, and the music itself struck me as kind of a successor to some of the 60s hippie love like you said a love fest type things uh exactly it had that same feel and vibe to it there wasn't any uh top 40 pop hits there wasn't a heavy metal there wasn't that's balance right. it was very musical you know it, it was music yeah. you know that's it's hard there's to music to it. There's melody, but there's also like a trance element, a space rock yeah. element where that's repetitive, but it, it moves you through repetition in a way that builds to a crescendo or that, you know what I mean? They, I, it's kind of funny. One of the difficult things is describing their music to somebody else. They're one of the bands you have to like, maybe you just got to go listen to some stuff and see if you like them. And right. I can try to describe why I continue to find them interesting but they're also something and I, I can do them in small doses do i put them on um while i'm writing or while i'm doing various other things there's a particular mindset that i want to be in it's like i want right. to do something that requires more of my attention i'm always curious as to what their latest album is but then there's a lot of things like i don't know i listen to uh, uh something conventional uh, ario speed Wagon, the first time you hear it and you're like i won't mind hearing four of those songs again they were just catchy enough and etc right. you know melodic enough whereas the residents i'm like boy i hope i can remember the titles of some of these songs because sometimes the titles don't even go like why is this one called you know underground vacuum or something right. you know you're, you're not I getting mean? an earwig that plays in your head yes. all day long it, it's like exactly go back and listen to uh uh, Pipers at the Gates of Dawn or something like that, where you're like, what the hell it. is this? Yeah, Early psychedelia, early space rock, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's definitely not something <laughs> you, you, you would recommend to everybody. I mean, I could name a dozen people I wouldn't even tell about because they wouldn't get it. They think it's they'd like, you're weird, you know? <laughs> exactly. That, honestly, that is like when when people go to listen as you did, part of the risk of you talking about this people are gonna go you really like this right. you know what i mean it's like there's something wrong with you it's over. almost like you need, you need the passcode to get through the club door yeah yeah and and yet i there's any number of things that like i kind of want that to exist i want to oh, yeah. sponsor i want to encourage people to not just be four four blues based rock or pop or whatever else it might be i like people that put things out there and just say it's something we like doing. It's and, and you know what I mean? If we make you know the what? connection good, if we don't, that's okay. It would surprise me <laughs> if like in the seventies or even eighties, 
mm-hmm. uh, whenever they got together, that they were a, a bunch of friends in college, and they did this as a performance troupe at college. And they said, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this. Let's see what happens. And, and it just kept going. Yeah. That's, that's honestly, that's a very good analogy. They're out of San Francisco. And so it really is possible. Uh, San Francisco has any number of arts colleges. Yeah. So maybe they went to, you know, San Francisco School of the Arts and they just said, you know, we, we can continue to do this. And especially with nobody knowing who we are, we can do our day jobs and not have to be a fully committed rock and roll world. Right. The fact that they can go on tour for a couple months means they have to have some ability to like take a break from being a professor, being a roofer, being right. whatever else it is that, you know what I mean? This it's, it's, I'm, I'm just always so curious about them that I want to see what they have going on. The, the world I mean? doesn't necessarily need <laughs> a dozen bands and artists like this, but the world needs some artists like this. That's know? what I think. And, and you know what? I think there's a whole big difference to me also with, they're not trying to be ugly or off-putting. There's any number of like, uh, thrash metal, death metal, right. certain things that Shock like value. you're getting growled at. You're, and it really is meant to be not just discordant, but actively just nasty, screechy, unlistenable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I don't think it's that fighting the beauty and ugliness. I don't think that's what they're shooting for. And they're not trying to be assaultive and get everybody like pogoing and inflamed and let's go get in a fight. You know what? Well, this is what a great right. music. I feel like I want to kill someone. They just seem to be quirky and yeah. odd and not uh, not ugly. You know what I mean? It's uh, But they don't shy away from not everything they do. Like if you watch the video, they were the first ones to do videos and post them. So they have a thing like the Gingerbread Man was actually one of the first CDs that was the, the, the combination of music and, and uh, animation and stuff like that. So they were, you, you knew that they had to be uh, computer-ish enough to have done their music as well as these things. And so if you're looking for like, it wasn't MTV, it wasn't just a band playing and looking pretty like in excess, but they definitely expanded the field in terms of this is how you can do that integration of animation and music and have it be that it's very much your own thing. Nobody else can do this but you. Right. So anyway, I, that's, I, so that's my plans for August. And it really is the first thing that I, we already have tickets for James Taylor at, uh, uh, sorry, Blossom. And that's going to be the first concert that we go to where it's like, you know, we know we're vaccinated, but it's going to be a crowd scene. It's going to be, I don't know how much social distancing you can get on the lawn, et cetera, et cetera. And, but then, of course, the amazing contrast. Yeah, James Taylor. And then a month later, I'm seeing the residents. Yeah. <laughs> so that really is the, the depth and breadth of my oddness, I guess. You know right. what I mean? Well, it's, you know. Boondinia. <laughs> we, we can go to Lollapalooza and uh, you know, do mm-hmm. all that craziness, and that would really top it off right there. Yep. When I've been to festivals like that, like Milwaukee Summerfest, or uh, I often was at the second stages instead of the main stage right. because I usually liked cool, odd, quirky, weird Al Yankovic more than I liked. Yeah, exactly. Or especially, I hear Van Halen on the radio all the time, right. whereas I, there's no guarantee that I'm going to hear, uh, I don't know, Popol Vuh or something like that. You know, I was always amazed at some of the choices that, that bookers would have of like, wow, you really are spanning the breadth of what's available today because right. you're risking that people are going to hear some of this music they're going to flee and there's going to be a huge crowd over here and like crickets over here because some of the music was very i don't know not unlistenable but it sure is a particular taste for some yeah. prog trance whatever things i might like a, a couple yeah, years so, ago i took megan yeah. to see one of her favorite bands at the time which was as they call it a screamo band it was just uh, uh metal you know but right. the kids call it screamo now um okay. But there were three bands that played, and the very first band 
was the ones I liked the best. The, it was heavy. Uh, they weren't quite the screamo, but they were, you know, a little heavier than a lot of stuff. And out of the whole night, I, I was like that, that very first band who's, you know, low man on the totem pole. I yeah. like them the best and they're still around. They're on Spotify. I listen to them. Okay. So, yeah. Same thing. Yes. You know, yes. the, the rest I, of the stuff I'm like, okay, how much longer? Yay. This is great. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. I love your daughter. You know, I'm happy yes. to be here with you. Exactly. You know, I've had a couple odd experiences where I uh, really like an album for a band, like for a band called prick where they it had great dynamics. It was, um, it was aggressive, but it actually had some nice lulls and it just kind of it told a story by, and, and had good dynamics. Went to see them in concert and they just threw out all the lulls, threw out all the softer parts and were just constant, aggressive, yelling at you. Everything turned up to 11 and like, you know, playing the guitar with like, I'm going to run a, a, a beater from a, a, a mixer on here. You know, it's like, man, I, and I had uh, brought Colleen with me saying, you know, these guys are very interesting. And if you've never heard from them before, I think that you'll like some of the stuff. And then, honestly, we ended up leaving because she was really like, I can't stick my whole elbow in my ear to block out <laughs> enough of this music. Can we leave? Right. And I just was kind of apologetic over, I, I really liked their album, but I guess that's what I'm going to have. I'm never going to see them live again because right. they don't have any nuance live. They just right. kind of come on and jump you. Well, and, wow. Uh, two, two of my favorite bands from back in the day Def Leppard and Poison are touring yes. with Motley Crue and that's a uh, great triple threat right there it's you a know, big, interesting bunch of okay. big names but I went and saw Motley Crue several years ago with some friends and yeah. it was one of the worst concerts I have ever been to we were oh, at no. Blossom we were in the pavilion so right. you know we, we thought this will be great they were so unmixed. It was just a wall of noise and it was all Ugh. jumbled together. You couldn't hear the drums from the guitar, from the uh, vocals. In fact, at one point, my friend leans over and goes, what song are they on? I can't hear a single vocal. Honestly, it's just mud. They never did a sound check or they just didn't care? Well, they, you know what? Oh, man. I, oh, okay. I, somebody said, well, Vince Neil's voice is going. So they just turn everything up to cover up that he can't sing anymore. I'm like, What's oh. the point? I wasted my money. You know, yeah. it was, yeah. it, I mean, I like Motley Crue. I'm a hair metal guy. I like the pop stuff, but it was just, I want to have a good concert experience. And it was horrible. I mean, the best night, part of the night was I got a fat tire beer. I mean, it was $16 for a can, <laughs> which was God, horrible. That's right. That's but right. The music <laughs> was not the best part of the night. So yeah, yeah. That in, inevitably we're going to have those disappointments. Sometimes I see people and they're just what I wanted them to be, and I'm just glowing after the show. And right. once in a while, like I really like Sticks. You know what I mean? They're they're they, I've they're seen them. like Grand Illusion and Pieces of Eight. There's like they got like four albums in a row where they really were at the height of their yeah. prog pop essence. And but I went to see them, and they did like an hour and ten minute show. They just decided to play a couple hits and be done. And it's like, man, you know, and it wasn't even their hits are not their best material to me. So sometimes when you go to something in live, you're hoping for a deeper cut or for them to stretch out on something. Well, I just, they, they forever, I probably would see them again because that didn't totally turn me off to them. But it was like, what was going on with you guys? Like personal, was there already band problems? I know they went through some difficult stuff with Dennis DeYoung and yeah. et cetera. And, but it was just like, that's the least amount of dollar music per dollar that I've gotten in any concert I've ever been to. I was really pissed. You know, like and, they, and as you might imagine, movie. they weren't cheap tickets. It was like, right. they were because they were so popular. Oh, well. It's like going <laughs> to see a movie now that's less than 90 minutes. 
It's like, what the heck was that? <laughs> and, and it's because we all jump around. I just heard that they're remaking Highlander with Bentley yes. Henry Cavill in the role. Yes. See, I'm not. Yes, I'm not. The first Highlander is a perfect movie. But I, see, okay, here's a, here's a disagreement. <laughs> perfect. I love the Highlander stuff. I've, I've yeah. seen the movies. I watched the series. But I always thought the first movie just wasn't quite as much as it could have been, it was missing something. It felt incomplete to me, even back in the eighties. I liked it. And I'm like, okay, but it just, if I don't know, there's something that didn't engage me as much as some of the other stuff did. Uh, And I have been actually recently, I watched those again and I'm like, man, I really hope somebody makes uh, this movie like remakes it really, really well can really pile it on with some of the new stuff. And I, I don't know the story itself just seemed a little weak to me, uh, even back okay. then. See, I what well, see. So for I, I mean, I really love the first movie, and I know that it has some elements that are not perfect. But like, how are you going to find a villain as good as yeah. oh. Clancy Brown oh, as yeah. the Kurgan? I just that's he was a, fantastic. A performance for the ages, and I they tried like Michael Ironside in one of the succession of the sequels and stuff like that. They yeah. tried to find other villains that were anywhere near as menacing, as crazy, as formidable as he was, and they couldn't do it. And, and maybe that was part oh of my it. God, maybe <laughs> I, I think you know analyzing it a bit now that was maybe part of it. Maybe I, when I was younger, I felt this, but I can analyze it better now. He was fantastic. He was a great villain, but what did we ever really? feel about him or get to know him i mean he showed up in a couple scenes as a crazy maniac and then he got his head cut off you know there wasn't (laughs) there wasn't enough character and build-up i don't think see i thought that i don't know i guess i didn't need that much character to see that he was like the strongest the one determined to win the tournament and like you know there's scenes where he did like well how blasphemous he was how yeah how he was willing to do anything you know what i mean that's like i i just you know oh i see uh you know he, he was not ramirez's woman she was your woman I can hear like I love doing the Cargan voice. It's like you know, (laughs) and secretly she yearned for my return. It's like, oh my god, this is so hideously inflammatory and perfect. Happy Halloween, ladies! You know, like oh my god, I just and 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 it does have a wonderful (laughs) soundtrack. There's no denying that. That's true. Queen, exactly that. You know, when Queen did that and Flash Gordon, it was like, wow, was that one of the first big bands to actually do? Uh, like not their own music, like I, I Help so. or Sgt. Pepper's, but they actually did soundtracks and like, and that it wasn't just phoned in. The music was really yeah. good. Oh yeah, you know definitely. I mean? <laughs> so okay, I, I may have said this, forever. I may have said this before, but unfortunately, I can't stand the Flash Gordon theme from Queen, and it's <laughs> not that. <laughs> okay, but that part doesn't bother me. I like the operatic. A pulpy feel. That's exactly what right. it should have been. The right. only part of that song that it makes me I, that I can't listen to it is when they get uh, Dale going, Flash, Flash, I love you, but we only have 14 <laughs> hours to save the earth. I'm like, that is the worst <laughs> written line ever in Hollywood. That, that is horrible. The, I agree. And There's the no comparison. The <laughs> between the movies, there's no comparison. Between the soundtracks, absolutely Highlander, so much better than Flash yeah, Gordon. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know but, what I mean? So, <laughs> so here's the thing with the way expectations are with mu- movies, with what they put in the movies, and they're willing to spend a little more time. I think they could have made that first Highlander movie better if it had just a 
10, 15 more minutes, a little more with the characters. And I think it just, and maybe that's what they'll add is the backstory or the, something yeah, like I, that. Okay. You know, okay. just think if, if they did this new one, the way they do some of the Marvel movies, you know, that over the top big, you know, that you really want to cheer at the end of it. I think that's really what Highlander be. needs. Yeah. I'll so. tell you like that last sword fight at the end of the first Highlander is as good as anything I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. The camera moves, it's a swooping in. They're in this big, you know, warehouse of a place with with uh, lighting that makes it harder to do the fight. And there's, there's water dripping, and it just was apocalyptic in what yeah. was going on. And I don't know, I, I just, and, and even some of their previous fights where they have been like skirmishes compared to this final one, they were just so dangerous, so much like, wow, people really are losing their head here. I, you know, I, I, you hope. <laughs> yeah, it just, I, I thought one of the, I love movies that have great atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like the, the, um, they used New York in a way that it wasn't yeah. like brightly lit. It was very gothic, like one of the Batman movies. It was very dangerous to have in the middle of the city. There still are dark alleys, and there's you know sputtering lighting, and there's right. there's things like this that. There's sewers and drippy places and stuff like that. And I I it's kind of funny. I like movies that are quotable, and I still have lines that I say like from Highlander till today, you know what I mean? Right. That, and everybody, everybody says there can be only one and maybe they don't even know where it came from. But, uh, probably not. You know, one of the, one of my regrets, unfortunately is I've never had children and I would, I wish to God I had met, I'm going to tear up. Oh, I had no. met Colleen early enough so we could have kids because they would have been strong and fine. You know, that's a line from the movie. I'm just, oh, yeah. ah, so, well, but maybe your alternate <laughs> universe Al did. So think I of it that so. way. <laughs> exactly that. You know, I can, I can, I can see alternate me dandling, you know, their, their, their sons and daughters on their knee and, and just, you know, guess that taking them for the hikes and taking them to the zoo and they'll know every animal. They can name every dinosaur. And they'll be like, right. the first time they beat me at chess, it'll be like, wow, how cool is this? Right. My kid is this good. <laughs> my, my, Colin used to beat me at some of the card games, even when I was actually trying, I'm like, this is stupid. Yes. So, okay. So maybe this is it. So uh, this leads into something else I want to talk about. So thinking about the Highlander movie, the one scene where he's fighting that guy in the alley and then the crazy Marine shows up with the gun and shoots him, And, and then he steals the car and takes the grandma for a ride. And she's screaming. <laughs> and suddenly she ends up on the hood. I'm like, wait a second. I know. How the hell did she end up on the hood? <laughs> second of all, why is that scene like 45 minutes long or something? I mean, it just goes on forever. And it, it, I think it slows the movie down, but bringing okay. that Marine into it, I, that was a mistake because he just suddenly showed up and he has a gun and we're supposed to go, Oh man, crazy Marine. That's an example of how to improve it is you need that character earlier in the the show. So you have some, Oh, he's going to have a conflict. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. And I'm saying where there was some, some foreshadowing that they showed the city was under siege and that there were people that were determined to not be, the one that gets killed by the guy, the cops were really perfect as these like, um, kind of like world weary cops. And so yeah. they, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And like in this world of machine guns back then, there weren't really any and guns and stuff like that. Someone gets killed with a sword and they're like, what the hell is going right. on here? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, there's a great scene with like one of the, like a, a, maybe a hobo, a bum on the street, or maybe it's a, um, the guy who runs the newsstand, he's like reading the newspaper about how the cops are making no headway. And he's like, 
what do incompetent mean? You know, what do baffled <laughs> mean? Laughing, and it's like, yeah, that uh, movies that do that, that find a way in the middle of all this tension building and adventure and danger, they have those laughs. They have that ability to break so that you get, you get to breathe a little bit and, and yeah. step back. And then, so it, it's more of a roller coaster ride instead of this, this clenching, perpetual, nothing but danger. That was one of the first movies I remember being that and Silver Streak were both really good at. Wow, there's really danger going on, but there's really good laughs here as well. So I don't know. I just, I hope that they don't like maybe if they, make a better story out of it i hope that they don't lose all those little exactly. character interactions and and you know and quirky things about it you know i i just i they can cool. make i mean it, it, the mythology itself had a few problems and holes in it especially when right. they went to the second movie it's like wait a second <laughs> you guys just really screwed this up i think uh, that's how we've talked about this before is that when i went to see the sequel and i was just because i loved the first one so much yeah. and i just invited all my friends we're gonna go see this great thing and i remember we're sitting there in a restaurant after the movie and we're all just like staring at the table and then we look up and go, oh, how could yeah. it be so bad? And we were like yeah. crying. We were angry crying over, how did they fuck it up so much? The, the, oh, my God. The director's <laughs> cut didn't help a whole lot. Uh, right. Just, they even it, tried fixing it. It was like, no, you you missed what made it ridiculous yes, exactly. instead of cool. You yes, know and I mean? they can do a new movie. I, I mean – I don't know if they're planning on doing it in the same universe and just expanding it or just a reboot. Uh, it's tough because there's been so much changed with the mythology through the TV show. And then the, the two final movies that were made for TV movies. Right. With Adrian the, Paul and Christopher Lambert. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. source and whatever else. And, and it right. really like went off the rails. Um, yeah. Well, the but second it, one just decided to go science fiction instead of like yeah. medieval fantasy. It was like, well, why? Why you had a good you had a good mythology going? Why throw well, it out? You got you oh, got well. guys on gliders that look like He Man. I mean, That's what I'm saying. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, now I now I have a round skateboard. Oh yeah, this is just so oh well. Oh yeah, well. But, but so anyway, <laughs> uh, with all my writing recently, I've yes. discovered uh, we talk about movies and anal analyzing them and what makes them good and all that. Right. There's a book and there's a uh, uh, what they call uh, the beat sheet. Uh, the book is called Save the Cat, and it was originally written for screenwriters, but somebody has done it for novelists and for books. And basically what it does is it takes every big famous book or movie, the story, and breaks it down into these beats. That the story at, arc, the beats. Yeah. Exactly. And at, yes. at this point, your hero's this, and you do this before that. And at this point, you have this in it. And what they basically are saying is following these beats doesn't limit you, but it, it gives everybody what they anticipate for a story, what they they have internally for stories and it hits all those points at the right time in the right there way. You go. And it's a way of analyzing your story. But uh, once you learn it, you can get so creative. It almost frees you up by having that structure. And they analyze so many movies uh, with Very cool. this, that, and the other thing and books too, because it's for novelists. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the things I've, I'm reading when I think of Highlander, I'm like, yeah, they, they didn't do it here. They did not do this part or, you know, and I can see where for me, I thought the movie was a little weak, even when I was 20 years old uh, and without okay. knowing all of this. So that's just something, uh, I mean, I don't know if you'd ever want to read the book. It's 350 pages, but it's called save the cat. 
And you'd probably find a lot of things. It's like, oh, now I understand why that works and why this is so good for this movie or whatever. Yeah. And actually, it's got, I've not read that book, but I've heard these things discussed honestly for a long time I, I i've often read comic buyer's guide and i've read various different things by comic book writers and absolutely that's been the parlance the way that people talk about a series in comic books is the story arc that's going to happen the character transformation the beats and that you try to make sure that every single issue has this many of this kind and it's a an amplification or it's a plot twist or it's a you know this is a quiet moment this is a battle moment and that it, it doesn't as you said it's not a straitjacket, it's not formulaic, but it gives you the ability to say, we know this works for people, right. but they want to have things come to like little climaxes and then back off and move on to the next thing. And it's a way of pacing. I mean, maybe that's a gentler term. There's always been pacing in things where you just can't, you have a train going 90 miles an hour. You have to have little stops and refreshments and things like right. that. And so um, a couple, like when, when you, a couple of comic book writers that I really like, like Brian Michael Bendis or Mike, uh, Mark Millar or something, when they talk about that that's kind of the craft of how they do things, like, and that makes sense. That's why I like them, because their sensibility for how to pace something, how to um, uh, make sure that there's always something interesting going on, but they, they plant a seed of mystery back here, and then they work on it, but only a little bit, that they actually are very meta-conscious of what they're doing while they're doing it, and that it, it makes it a very satisfying read or movie in the ways that you're talking about. So yeah. it's, it's very cool. I know that you're working on the craft of your writing, and I'm, I'm glad you found a book like that because that's that sounds exactly like what other people whose work I really like and enjoy. admire and yeah. is, enjoy, it, that it's leading you down all the good paths. So what yes. save the cat? I well, would like to read because I like knowing about those kinds of things. I like to know the I internal figured. workings of things, you know? So right. very cool. It, it's one all of those right. things that even if you're not a novelist or a screenwriter, yeah. that uh, the nerd brain will probably enjoy it because it's all about analyzing. It's not the creative. It's not even the prose and the grammar. It's the analysis of the story itself. And that's right. The rest of the stuff you fit into there. Uh, and even like a Highlander, you know, the first part at Star Wars is always the big example, by the way. Uh, okay. This. But in Highlander, the, the first thing they do is they show them at a game, like, uh, or the wrestling match. And right. then there's that, the, the battle. So the game is the normal world that he's in. But so is the battle. That's his normal world underneath right. the normality. And it is, it's underneath, it is indeed exactly that, yes. both literal and figuratively. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I've always then, loved that opening scene where you start off like looking down at the huge stadium, and then the camera does this big wonderful spiral it, swoop, and right onto his face, it's like out of all these ten thousand people, this is the guy you're going to pay attention to. And he's not <laughs> watching the game. Yes, because he's aware of, he, his senses are picking up on the quickening. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. In fact, that's another. Tell me how many things you now see in the world that are called the blankening. It's, oh, it's, it's the spring, soaring it, the pollening. And it's the, that from the quickening is where all those things came from. It changed the vocabulary of the world by having that cool term come to exist. I love movies like that, that they yeah. have this incredible impact. You know? yeah. So. Oh, yeah. It, it's had a huge <laughs> impact on our culture. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah. Even with the horrible second movie. <laughs> and that made me think of something a while back. And man, I, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but uh, you know, in the um, prequel movies of Star Wars, where uh, Obi-Wan fights 
Grievous. He jumps off that lizard creature and lands in the middle of all those droids and stuff. And he goes, hello there. And it's a meme (laughs) and my kids quote it. And it's, you know, just that my kid, I'll hear my kids go, hello there. Hello there. Exactly. (laughs) But that's also the very first thing Alec Guinness said in the first movie. And so I, I went, they have their own continuity in the movies. Yes, that's very went, cool. Oh my yes. God, that's so brilliant. And I never picked up on that until uh, a couple years ago, actually. But that's, I'm like, that's perfect. It, it connects the characters, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that. When when you, you see that in the course of, uh, like, I don't know, a whole bunch of stuff here, they people are aware that they're trying to create memes nowadays. Not yeah. only, of course, in the, the combination of photo plus text, but even just when they, they've always had, what's the characteristic line of a character on Saturday Night Live? They were always looking for that, you know, uh, um, bear with me, um, not, you know what I mean? They were very good at the early embrace of, if we can get a phrase that becomes part of the vocabulary of America, we, we, we've won. That kind of thing, right. and so you'll you'll see like it's kind of funny that, that when you see shows about writer rooms like uh, Gary Sandling show or Thirty Rock or something like that, they will talk in this same way of so what's what's the beat of this story? What's the meme? What's the what's the line that we want to have this guy? We have to have some kind where you're like. Um, uh, What's the line with Willis? Uh, that's you know uh, what you're talking about, Willis. What you're what talking about, about, Willis? And like yeah. they, the whole almost the episode leads up to that. Now that I've been watching, thank you again, Big Bang Theory. There are certain things that you're waiting for certain characters yeah. to say or at least say something like it, Bazinga. And like and at first, sometimes it isn't that they meant that to happen. That they just threw it out there and like there was such a response to it. It's like. Bazingo would somehow like don't have a cow man from the Simpsons or something like that. I don't think that they crafted that to be they the killed Kenny. line. They killed Kenny. Exactly. And they knew there was going to be repetition of that, but you didn't know it would catch on as much as they did. Right. So it's very cool for what we just said about, I really don't like comics necessarily that have repetition in their acts. It's okay when they're good at that they have a certain line that they use more than once in their act because it's a great capper. It's a great, like, that's the nail they drive in to make this joke memorable or something like that, you know? Yeah. So the people are branding. They're making themselves memorable. They want a line to be associated with. So when you think of, I don't know, um, back in the day of Bill Cosby, for instance, you know, when it was, when it was, he was uh, allowed to be listened to, he had, why is there era? Noah, right. And so and, and, you know, things, yeah, where people like, when you get, when a star is walking down the street and they have people yelling their favorite line at them, that's triumph. They know that that penetrated so much. Yes. You know what I mean? There, there's a guy on YouTube <laughs> that I've seen a little bit, Gina watches. He just drives around the streets and he'll yell out the window a song lyric to, to people and record to see if they yell the next line The back. next line. That's, see, that's very cool. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm glad, before we go, I'm glad you mentioned Big Bang uh, because – I've got a revelation I had I want to talk to you about. We'll do it next week. It can wait uh, about Big Bang and what it is and why it was popular. I had a revelation about that and a comparison against something else. So I I think uh, it'll be an interesting uh, discussion. The sneak preview, the foreshadowing. See, you're so writerly. It's so beautiful. i got to remember that for next week because we've done that. I'm going to talk about this next week. And then there's the ever-growing scroll. (laughs) I I do want to talk about that because I I got a really good – 
hoping for that. So very good. So we'll see you on Friday night, and yes. then uh, we'll we'll see. You know, depending on what happens over the weekend, maybe we'll take Tuesday off. Maybe not. We've been maybe. on a roll. Yeah, we'll see. What happens. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. As always, a pleasure. Have a great weekend. And uh, it's supposed to be hot today, so hide in the cool. All right. Yeah, well, I'm going to make the kid go mow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, all right, man. Later. Right. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.